This morning I'd like for you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at some verses throughout 2 Corinthians, predominantly from chapters 1, chapters 2, and chapters 3. Today I want us to look at some these verses in Corinthians and I want us to examine some of the very personal and tender words from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. You know, in the letter to uh, the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, there are a lot of great uh, doctrinal, theological issues that are mentioned that we can discern a lot of truth from. But today we're not going to look at those principal doctrines, but rather we're going to look at the heart of the Apostle Paul toward these Corinthians and the glorious, wonderful, sweet relationship that Paul had with the church of Corinth in order that we might see in the inspired words of the Apostle Paul the heart of God that had... Who, the heart that God has for us and the heart of love and joy we are to have for one another. Dan read this morning from Mark chapter 12 where some scribes had come to Jesus to ask Him which Lord is the greatest commandment of all. Now at various times there were those who tried to trick Jesus into answering wrongly. But Jesus said, the first commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Very, very important commandments. Not only that, uh, a major theme of the whole Word of God. Uh, those two commandments provide for us a very concise statement regarding the gist of the whole Old Testament. Jesus said, Upon these two commandments you can hang all of the law and the prophets. What I want us to see today is the very truth of the heart of the Word of God as is as is. It is exemplified in Paul's words to the church at Corinth. We see the love of God and the love that Paul has for these believers and also the great love that these believers have for Paul and the Lord Himself. This morning as we see this theme portrayed in 2 Corinthians, I want us to notice that there are three things in this text that I want us to Uh, pick out the most. First of all, that is that we need to find encouragement from the Lord and from the Word of God. Secondly, are we experiencing the joy of the Lord that God desires for us to have? And then thirdly, as we are consoled and encouraged and we have the joy of the Lord, are we bearing fruit as the Lord would have us to bear fruits. We want us to look at those three things this morning. Now the backdrop of 2 Corinthians, go ahead and turn there with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written around A.D. 55. We know that the emperor Nero was in charge, and although Corinth was a great distance from Rome. Nero had influence there as well and throughout the Roman Empire. It was a time of persecution, a time of suffering, a time when the Corinthian Christians needed to have an encouraging word from the Lord. So first of all, let's see the Apostle Paul's words of encouragement to the church at Corinth. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Aren't you glad God is a God of mercy and not just a God of justice? And He is the God of all 
comfort. Paul says in verse 4, He is the God who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves are comforted from God. What a beautiful thing here that Paul is saying to us. God comforts us in our tribulation, and that's a glorious blessing. But the other glorious blessing is God comforts us in order that we might take that comfort from the Lord and be able to comfort others that are also going through a time of tribulation. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds in Christ. Paul was suffering greatly. But yet, the consoling, comforting, Grace of Christ was upon him. And then in verse 6, Paul says here that if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Did you catch that? If we are afflicted or if we are consoled, let's read the rest of the verse. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So Paul's saying here, whether or not we are afflicted, or whether or not we are consoled by the Lord, it's not just for us, for His apostles, but it's for you as well in order that the things that we learn in this affliction and the comforting grace of God spills out over into us in order that we might comfort you in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the trial that you're going through. So Paul was was thanking God that God was teaching him not just for the fact that he would receive peace and grace from God, that he might be able to impart this grace to others who were also struggling and suffering in a like manner. And then Paul, uh, look, well, let's look at verse uh, 7. And our hope is steadfast for you, and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you also will partake of the consolation. Yes? Any that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We have that fact given to us, but we also have the very precious fact that though we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. We will also be consoled with Him. What a glorious thing. And Paul says, you know, look at the Apostle Paul. If anyone has the right and the the authority to speak about suffering, Paul does. So he mentions here in verse 8 concerning himself. He says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the trouble which came to us in Asia. We don't know exactly what Paul was going through there, but some great trouble that he experienced, namely in the form of persecution. That we were burdened beyond measure. Wait a minute. This is a great apostle the one that God spoke to to reveal the very truths of the gospel to, the one that we are thank God for for much of the New Testament, this great man says that we were burdened beyond measure, that we were burdened above strength, even to the point that we despaired even of life. Paul found himself in a place where there was no way out, there were no answers. He was despairing of life. The situation was so so tough. The persecution so great. He says in verse 9, Yes, we had the sense of death in ourselves. There was no doubt about it. He was going to die unless the Lord intervened. But Paul says, All of these things happened to us that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And indeed, verse 10, he was delivered, Paul says, who did in fact deliver us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. As some have said, we are immortal until God sees fit to call us home. Paul had the 
the assurance that God would continue to deliver him until his, his time upon this earth was over. And then look at verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift or the favor that God granted to us through the many. So the, ch- the church at Corinth also got word that Paul and the other apostles were suffering greatly. They prayed for him. God intervened in the midst of his affliction, gave him comfort and peace. So you see here, the church working together with the apostle, uh, comforting one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another in the things of God. Isn't that why we're here? To learn of God to, and, and the things that we go through. We, we go through not just for, our, for the sake of ourselves and what we learn, but in order that we might help and learn and teach and console one another. You know, there are so many things in life that can just bring us to the end of ourselves. Things that can bring discouragement, things that bring hurt, so, so many things. Uh, we just, we've just looked at the things that Paul went through. We think further about Paul and Silas as they were placed in prison for preaching the gospel. How did they respond? They praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer for Him. And Paul and Silas began to sing praises in jail to the Lord as they were reading the Scripture and singing hymns of praise to God. And you know the rest of the story. God miraculously delivered them from that prison. And we think of others on the more contemporary scene that have undergone tremendous struggles. And yet they have not become bitter and turned away from the Lord you know, I think about the, the book Through the Gates of Splendor that mentioned many of those uh, missionaries in Ecuador who were martyred for the sake of the gospel. And after that occurred, what did the family members do? React in hate and hostility towards those who killed their family members? No. Many of them went back to continue the work of the ministry there, to, to continue to love those native Indian people there in Ecuador. And you also know the rest of the story there that many, many, many of those people came to know Christ by, by the love of uh, the Elliott family. We think of Elizabeth Elliott and all the, the work that she did after she had lost Jim, her beloved husband. And also Nate Saint, the pilot, was killed there. And his son developed a ministry to these people after his death. So you see, the, the blessings of God, they were afflicted greatly. But God worked through that affliction and consolation in order that they might not uh, return evil for evil, but they might return good for the evil that was done to them. And the blessings certainly flowed from that truth. We could go on and I thought of Johnny Erickson Tata who jumped into a swimming pool that had very little water in it. She broke her neck, I think, as a, as a, as a teenage girl and the horrible things that she went through. And she said for a time she, she became bitter and despondent. She despaired even of life as well. But think of decades after decade after decade of faithfulness to Christ and how God has revealed to her so many precious truths and the tremendous amount of lives that she has blessed because of the affliction and the consolation that the Lord has given to her. She didn't become bitter. She became a better person, a better, solid Christian. And if that would have never happened to her, that tragic accident, she would have never been able to be the blessing that she has been. So you see, difficult times are indeed going to happen to us. That's why Paul told Timothy, we are to fight the good faith. We're to lay hold of eternal life. Paul also said to Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul also went on to say in that very same text, he used the athlete for an example and how an athlete has to go through a rigorous training schedule in order to compete in 
the games. He has to be disciplined. Well, we do have to be disciplined in our Christian life. We have to lay hold on eternal life. We've got to tell ourselves over and over again about the glories of the gospel and what He's done for us, that we've, that we've overcome through Christ everything that this world dishes out to us. You know, I, I read across a, a saying that those in the NFL have when they're playing football. And it says, become comfortable when you are uncomfortable. Those guys, they got to do that. Because we think of them, we think of the stardom and the glory that they have as professional football players. But you know, they have a grueling, tough, difficult lifestyle. And they've got to learn that when things get tough, they got to get tougher. They've got to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know, we live in an age where we worship comfort and ease and tranquility. As believers in Christ, we need to learn to become comfortable in the uncomfortable. Better so, we'll use the words of Scripture, in the midst of affliction, we give it to the Lord. God consoles us, we take it from the Lord. We're, yes, we're going to be afflicted. We're going to suffer. We're going to, we're, we're, the church is beginning to suffer some persecution today. Not to mention all the day in and day out things that we suffer because we live in a fallen world. We take these afflictions and troubles that we have and we say, God, work through this. Give me your consolation that I might have peace and grace so that I will not give up the fight, but also so that I can come along with my dear brothers and sisters and encourage them. The writer of the Hebrew says, we are to encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. Love one another. Encourage one another. We need that so desperately. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God says that if we are heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, we shall also be glorified with Him because we are gloriously related with Him that we are in union with Him. For if we died, died to sin, died to self when we came to know Him, for if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. So we look at the momentary and light afflictions that we faced, and they don't mount to anything compared with the glory that awaits us. We are to encourage one another as sojourners on the way to the heavenly kingdom. Encourage one another. And then secondly... Paul is concerned for these dear Corinthians that they, in fact, as he writes this letter, have lost a great deal of joy in their lives. Predominantly because there were those that have crept into the assembly that was teaching false truths, even to the point where they were causing Paul to be at odds with the fellowship, or at least the fellowship was being led astray to be at odds to find problems with the Apostle Paul. You know, there's always going to be things that are going to come into our lives to combat our joy of the Lord. We call them joy killers. Those things which cause sorrow and those things which cause confusion. Misunderstanding. You know, on another note, I want to share with you that oftentimes my wife forces me to watch love movies on Hallmark Channel. (laughs) And you know, invariably, with these love stories, the two characters, a man and a woman, they're brought to the screen and something strange happens to them. The, as the story unfolds, something happens that causes conflict and misunderstanding between the man and the woman, and they become very angry and put out with one another. Well, when that happens, we men know that those are the two people that are going to end up falling in love, right? We already know that. We know the rest of the story, okay? <laughs> but, you know, these things, something happens, you know. 
they're, they're brought together with circumstances beyond their control. Maybe it's an accident or a mutual friend tries to set him up. There's a conflict occurs. There's a breakdown in communication and they're at odds with one another, you see. You know, in, in, a, in a somewhat similar sense, Paul's love relationship with the Corinthian church was undergoing something like this as well. There were problems within the congregations. There was miscommunications, issues whereby the church at Corinth was led in a great misunderstanding according to who Paul was and what Paul was doing. There was a conflict, you see, between Paul and the church. There was issues that were causing this love relationship between Paul and the church to be tested. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul said, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Now what Paul is referring to is a visit that he made to Corinth. It's referred to as the sorrowful visit of Paul or the painful visit that Paul made to the church at Corinth to to deal with these corrupt false teachers, these false apostles that had come into the fellowship and they were teaching things contrary to the Word of God. They were... No doubt Judaizers like the church of Galatia faced, but the church of Galatia faced Judaizers that were teaching them that they need to attain to the law and they need to continue further in circumcision and make sure that it was okay to embrace Christ, but they need to continue in all the things of the law. Well, these Judaizers were not... Uh, teaching that, but they were teaching more of a licentious type gospel. That yes, if you believe in Christ, uh, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. They were more teaching a license to sin because of the grace of which Paul certainly condemned in this letter and in other letters. So you see a, a conflict here. This negative influence that they were causing uh, upon Paul. And while they were there, they had quite a confrontation. Uh, that you can read about that further over in, in this, this very letter, and that by and large the false teachers won the argument. And Paul so much as shook the dust off his face, feet and left for a season. But now he's writing them back and saying to them, I am not going to make another painful visit to you. Uh, I do not want to cause you sorrow just for the sake of sorrow itself. Now, uh, what was the issue? Let's talk about what the issue was, this, this problem that was causing the confusion between the church and Paul. Look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning with verse 8. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority... And by the way, Paul had the real authority to boast about his authority because he was a special apostle that was sent by God who indeed had true apostolic authority. Contrary to the silly people today that are running around and claiming that they have apostolic authority, which they don't. But Paul had true apostolic authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction. First point we look at today, Paul was deeply concerned that the church would be edified, encouraged in the things of God. Paul says, I've been called to, to be an apostle with authority, not for your destruction, but for your edification. But yet... He says in verse 9, Lest I seem to terrify you by my letters. Now look at verse 10. For his letters, they say, these false apostles are saying, well, they're very weighty and powerful. But really, that's, that's not who Paul is. Because his bodily presence is very weak and his speech is contemptible. You see, they, they made fun of Paul. They made fun of his size. Tradition says that Paul was about five foot tall. 
balding and not the best looking person you ever would want to look at. And so they, you know, they, they were derogatory towards the very person of Paul. They attacked his apostleship and they, they made fun of him. Said, yeah, his letters are tough, but he's not very impressive when you, when you uh, really see him. Uh, he's not that much to look at. And then look at uh, uh, chapter 11. Paul says regarding their derogatory comments, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. He uses the word as a tongue-in-cheek. A little bit of sarcasm going on here. These, these, these eminent apostles. Sometimes translators will translate it super apostles. You know, that these people that have so elevated themselves. He said, you know, I, I don't consider myself uh, all inferior to these persons. And then in verse 6, For even though I am untrained in speech, you see the, the false apostles, they... They made a big to-do out of pomp and circumstance. They were concerned with outward appearance. They wanted to look good. And their oratory was more along the, the Greek Hellenistic lines of oratory. They were to speak in order to impress you. That's, that's what they were concerned about. To, that their rhetoric and their style would impress you. And Paul says, yes, I'm not trained like these these great orators, but yet I am not untrained in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly, man- but have we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. That is the truth of the glorious gospel. And then look at verse eleven, chapter eleven. In verse 13, again he mentions the problem explicitly now. For such are, he blatantly refers to them as false apostles. They're deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. So Paul exposes these false teachers for who they are, warning the Christians that they had had come in, they had caused variance between Paul and the church, and they were destroying the very joy of the Corinthians. And now I want you to look with me in the first part of chapter 11, as we see the very tender heart of Paul concerning the, this church. Chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you dare do bear with me, Paul says in verse 2. For he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. You have no understanding of how much I care for you Corinthians. And then he shares with the illustration, for I have betrothed you to one husband. In other words, I have given to you in marriage to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul's heart was broken. He, he, he longed to minister to these people, to see them encouraged, to see them brought up in the truths of the things of Christ, and yet they were carried away by these false teachings of the false apostles. And he said, my heart is broken for you. Uh, of how tenderly I've loved you, how I have, like a, a parent that has betrothed a son or a daughter to the future spouse and how I was concerned about you. That was the attitude that I had for you. And yet he says in verse 3, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you well put up with it. In other words, they were not discerning the things that these false apostles were claiming. 
They were being led astray. And the heart of Paul was broken because of their departure. Not so much from him, but from the very truths of the gospel. Now, if you'll turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll pick back up right where we left off with verse 2. And again, Paul is writing this this tender pastoral letter of correction. In verse 2, he says, For I have if if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful? By me. The implication is Paul is sorrow, sorrowful to a certain extent that he's made them sorrowful, but Paul says, Who's going to make me glad? The implication is only the one who has been made sorrowful and repents of these ridiculous views that the false apostles were preaching. Verse 3 And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Worrying about the possibility that some would not repent. But having all confidence in you, all, that my joy is... This was Paul's joy. What joy was that? That Paul would feel good about himself and not worry about what anybody was saying? No. That Paul was concerned that his very joy would be found in the joy of the Corinthian church, you see. Paul wanted them to be blessed. Paul wanted them to be encouraged in their affliction. Paul wanted their joy to be restored uh, and that they might put away these, these false doctrines and these false views and this uh, horrendous uh, breach in fellowship that these false apostles had caused. There had been dissension where there was once joy. And Paul says, my only joy is going to be found in seeing your joy that is restored. In verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears. You see the heart of Paul. You see the love that Paul has for people. I think about in other descriptions of Paul, some of the great and horrendous things that the Apostle Paul suffered. You know one of the greatest sufferings that Paul had? Not just the physical stuff, but he mentions his concern for the churches. His deep burden and love and concern for the churches. And again, Paul says, I wrote this and I was grieved. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. You see? You know, we think of the Apostle Paul. We think of a, a brilliant man who, whom the Lord used to uh, show unto us many of the doctrines of the Christian faith, and he was that indeed. But this is the other side of the Apostle Paul that many people don't see. He was a man, though an apostle, though a missionary. He was a man, if anyone ever had the heart of a pastor, Paul had the heart of a pastor. As he shows his love and his tenderness uh, to these dear persons. And the good news was is was that many of the people in the church of Corinth understood the truth about what Paul was saying and they forsook these false teachers and they repented of their giving credence to these teachers to begin with. We can read all about that in chapters 2 verses 5 through 11. Now we're not going to take the time to do that but we give thanks to God that you know God used the apostles' teachings and they turned away from these erroneous views and turned back to the purity of the gospel. And then, of course, uh, the, the ringleader was no doubt, uh, he also, the, the ringleader of the false apostles, and it undoubtedly repented and he was uh, disciplined and repented of his sins and then that the church uh, was too harsh upon him because after he repented they didn't show him the grace they should have showed him but that's another story the majority of the, of the church did repent so you see just as there was issues that came into the church of Corinth there's issues that come into every church Wow, because Satan is as a roaring lion 
He goes to and fro in all the earth seeking whom he may devour and he loves dissension. And now you're thinking, oh, there must be something really going on in this church. No, there's really not. But you know what? It's coming. There's, things are going to happen. You know, and these things that come into our lives as a church family or as individuals, they come to destroy our joy and our fellowship in the things of God. There are so many things that hinder our joy. Improper thoughts, our speech, someone else's speech, perceptions that may not be true, things that come in and hinder us, wrong attitudes, circumstances, you fill in the blank. What's going on in your life right now? What are you struggling with? It's causing you not to have the joy that you ought to be having from the Lord. What's going on in your life that would bring you discouragement? Is it bigger than the gospel? I don't think so. (laughs) You see? But we get into these ruts. We don't think biblically as we ought to think. We don't think with the gospel teaching us as we ought to think. You know, Paul says here in... uh, Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians and verse 6, If we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. By the way, the word salvation is not talking about there in order that you might be saved from your sins, but the whole uh, process of salvation. We've been saved from our sins, but right now we're being saved by the, from the uh, power of sin, right? It's, it's in a sense our sanctification. The whole salvation process. That's why Paul said we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. If the apostle was afflicted and, he, and if he was consoled by God, it is for the very life and faith of the Corinthians. And we have the same thing here. So therefore we are to encourage one another. We are to seek to make sure that we have the joy of the Lord in our lives. And we fail to do that, folks. Listen to me. We, we, we fail to do that, don't we? By not relating to one another as we ought to, ought to. This is why the writer of the Hebrew says that we ought to encourage one another all the more and we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because guess what? If you ain't here, you can't encourage and love one another and have the joy of the Lord together. We've got to be here. And, you know... Oftentimes we don't do this, do we? We don't take the time to share and for whatever reason we're shy or we don't really know them or they'll think uh, something about us that we don't want them to think or blah, blah, blah. But we need to take the time with one another to talk and to share and to resolve and pray for one another desiring God's peace upon each of us that we can have fellowship with the, with the Lord and fellowship with one another <clears throat> and the unity of the body might be maintained. So, don't just be silent and don't just be shy. You know, um, we got a great body here, folks. We really do. And uh, uh, we have... Uh, Deacons here that have a heart for the Lord. You know, if something's going to go to them, you know, they're not perfect. And we have elders here that I hope that has somewhat of the heart that Apostle Paul has. But, you know, we're, we're not omniscient. We don't always know what's going on. And sometimes we feel guilty that something happens and we weren't there to, to love and minister to one another. So let's, let's let each other know. Uh, so that the whole body can minister to one another. Don't be silent. Do something. Make it known. Romans chapter 15 and verse 7 says, We're to receive one another just as Christ also received us to the very glory of God. Well, if we're going to receive one another, we've got to know each other and relate with one another. Just a few more words. Um... from Paul's words to the church at uh, Philippi concerning our need for joy. Paul said in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy in the crown, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord Jesus. 
The church at Corinth was Paul's joy in the Lord. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 in Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation... We've been talking about receiving consolation in Christ. If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of His love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, have the same love, being of one accord for one another. Esteem others better than yourselves in verse 3 and in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Why do we do this? We do this in order that we might encourage one another, in order that we might be sure that we have the joy of the Lord together. And then finally, not only does Paul write this letter in order to encourage them and in order that they might have the joy of the Lord, but in order that through having these things and being faithful to the Lord, that they might have a fruitful ministry together. Look in chapter 3 now. Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? No, that's what the false apostles did. Or do we need as some as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You know, this actually happened in the early church. At times there were letters of commendation. You know, they didn't have uh, the telephones or emails or, or they couldn't text each other. So they some of the true apostles would bring letters of commendation to show their validity of who they were. Well, these false apostles in all probability, had fake letters of commendation that they did not receive from the faithful Jerusalem church, but probably from those, possibly from those in Jerusalem that uh, uh, had an axe to grind against the Apostle Paul, and they wrote these letters of commendation in order that these false apostles might look true and valid to the church of Corinth. Paul said, do we need these? Do we need these letters of commendation? Look at verse 2. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You're living letters. Because Paul was the one who first went to Corinth, preached the gospel, and many of these people came to know Christ. They were living examples. They were letters. Look at verse 3. You are clearly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not by ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of flesh, that is, of the heart. You said, we don't need these fake letters. We see the reality of what God has done in you by calling you to Christ through the preached Word. Uh, I don't need... To, to have the favor of men. I thought of Spurgeon who said, no man ever laid his hand upon me. You see? Spurgeon knew that he had the anointing of God. And whether or not men recognized this was really irre- irrelevant because God's hand was upon him just as God's hand was upon the Apostle Paul. Living letters. The proof, they say, of the pudding is in the eating. And the proof of Paul's true discipleship was in the fact that there was real fruit present. <clears throat> Turn back into Acts chapter 18. This is uh, the recording of the Apostle Paul when he had left Athens and he was now in Corinth. And how hard did he had worked there. He had reasoned in the synagogue on the Sabbath with the Jews and the Greeks, but yet there was a great opposition and he was opposed. So he shook his, the dust from his feet and he left the synagogue and he said in verse 6, Your blood be upon your own hands. And then, this is interesting, notice what happened here. In verse 7, He departed from there and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice who was one who worshipped God 
whose house was next door to the synagogue. You know, I wanted to chuckle when I read that. But within the providence of God, they kick this guy out of the synagogue. And here's this other person who was no doubt a Roman citizen uh, that was a worshiper of God, possibly somewhat of a, a Jewish proselyte, a Gentile that had come into the, the faith of Judaism and was uh, now seeking to understand who this Messiah was. So Justice says... No problem, you can come here and continue what you're doing. And then, to make matters even more interesting, we read in verse 8, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, <laughs> again, I kind of chuckle, here's the ruler of the synagogue, they throw Paul out, so he, he, he says, well, you know, I think I'm going to go next door to Justice's house, who was the very ruler of the synagogue, and lo and behold, in the providence of God, he believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. You see, God was, uh, Paul was faithful because God was faithful to him. Uh, okay? Uh, now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night of a vision in verse 9. He says, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and the one and no one will excuse me, attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there uh, for many, many months. Uh, I think 18 months, God opened a great door uh, for the Apostle Paul, and many of the Corinthians came to know the Lord. So Paul says, Do I need these letters of commendation? I don't think so. You are living epistles. Because the hand of God has been placed upon you. So the Lord himself was sufficient that he had laid his hands upon the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. And then again, Paul not that we're sufficient. Paul, Paul is not arguing this in order that they might think that he was sufficient in and of himself. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives Life. God was Paul's sufficiency. And God was the one who caused them to go forth in triumph. And God is the God who causes us to go forth in triumph. He's the one who encourages us. He's the one that gives us joy. And by His grace, He's the one that causes us and allows us to bear fruit. And that should be our desire. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. This should be our attitude. Now thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. You see, here's a person, the apostles He's speaking of, we as Christians can apply this to our lives. If we in fact are walking in the... We have afflictions, but we find encouragement, consolation from the Lord. We, we, nothing's going to shake us or move us. Nothing can take away the joy of the Lord. And as we go about our business, living our lives for the glory of Christ, the diffusion of the fragrance of Christ is with us. For we are to God, in verse 15, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, to the one, they don't like the way we smell. We're the aroma of death. They have no desire for the things of Christ. But to the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. So, Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? Certainly not any human, verse 17, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 
God's hand was on the Apostle Paul. He spoke according to the way God would have him speak in the power of the Word of God and God does as He pleases. To some, they were the aroma of death, but to others, they were the aroma of life as He bore witness. Paul's prayer ought to be our prayer for one another in Colossians. Paul's desire was and prayer was that we might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The Lord Jesus Himself said something very similar. He said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you shall be my disciples. Jesus said also in that same chapter, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank You and praise You for who You are and what You've done in our lives. We thank You, Lord, for the glories of the Gospel who gives us victory over sin, death, the grave, and hell. We give You praise. We have nothing to boast about, but our boast is in this, that Christ has saved us from our sins. And Father, I pray that we preach this Gospel to ourselves that nothing would interfere or or discourage us, that the joy of the gospel would be ours, and that through this victory we indeed would go forth and we would bear fruit, not being swayed by the afflictions of this world. And Father, today I pray, especially if there's any here that is undergoing a, a great conflict, a great trial, that Your grace would be ministered to them right now, that You would give them the victory. And I pray, Father, that this this need might be known to someone here, that we might be able to minister to this person in need. And we pray this not just for the sake of those that are suffering, but for the sake of Your church, that Christ might be magnified in our lives. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.